So, Nate, glad to have you on. We have uh, Nate Abele, who's CTO of Ratify.io. Um, Nate, do you want to kind of give an intro on, on what you do there and uh, what, what Ratify is about? Sure. Thanks, Matt. Uh, thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. Um, yeah, so we, um, Ratify does a line of business uh, software application platforms for companies of, of all different kinds. And generally what that means is we come into a business who ha has a need that they um, feel that can be solved with through some kind of technology. So we sit down with them and do what's called a discovery, where we basically map out their business um, and what all of their challenges and opportunities are, and then build a, a software platform that is custom to them. So these are these are people who can't get what they need out of you know WordPress or some like off-the-shelf package who need something custom to their particular business processes. So these are businesses that are very heavily process-oriented, um, and you know, kind of carve have carved out a niche in their market doing something that nobody else is doing. Right. Well, uh, what do you think of the term consultant? Do you do you ever kind of call yourself that? Do other people call you call you that? Yeah, I mean, consulting is is a lot of our work. Um, I, and I know in some in some corners of the industry, there's a lot of baggage associated with that term. Yeah, and I'm um, specifically talking about the whole like office space bobs. Like you're you're not one of those people that. Yeah, that does that. Yeah, so the the purpose of our our consulting is um, to be very focused in our work. Like the baggage that comes from the term consultant, I think, has a lot to do with the people who are all talk and don't deliver anything except yep. reports. Um, whereas we deliver actual software, and I, I think what I like about our approach is that it's a nice counterpoint to um, sort of the whole like agile software shop kind of thing where uh you know you bring in a company and they just immediately start going to work um there's a lot to be said for sitting down and and not necessarily coming up with a detailed plan but at least a detailed map of the territory because you have that that learning will happen one way or another um and and one way is you can go in and, and sit down and find all of that out at the beginning, or you can be, you know, ten sprints in, having spent however many tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to find out that some of your core assumptions are now invalid. Right. Um, so that's the the consulting is always in service of, you know, providing some meaningful value that can actually be measured and, and sort of tracked against. Yeah, and it sounds like you're you're doing the kind of work that is. Um... I guess it's opposed to some companies that do straight up, they'll build a new product to take a company to market or build a product for maybe a company that's, that's already out there versus the, you have a bunch of processes and you want to streamline them or use technology to make them better. You know, we've, we've done a little bit of that. We've worked with startups who sort of had an initial prototype of, um, of their platform and they needed to, either significantly re revamp it or just scrap it and start from scratch or you know they had other infrastructure problems that we've, we've come in to address so we've done a little bit of that um, but yeah a lot of it is um, companies that are you know uh, yeah okay I've, I've worked for uh, I've done consulting work for um, a, a company a technology company in the San Jose area that you have heard of um, and, and even in companies like that, you would be shocked at how much gets done via Excel and email. Sure. Um, or, or Excel and email 2.0, a.k.a. Google Sheets. Uh, and, yeah. And there's, there's kind of an upper bound to how effective you can be um, just by sort of cobbling a, a stuff together yourself. Uh, yeah. What's funny is that a lot of the, the people that I work with, it's getting people just onto Google Sheets. For, for the things that Google Sheets is good at is, is like a, one challenge. Uh, the next thing I, I wanted to kind of talk about was just like the idea of automation and like the idea of automation within the work that you do. And the question I, I would ask is like, do you ever, do you ever have this kind of, I don't know if it's, it's really cognitive dissonance, but it's, it's really just this ambivalence around building things that make companies more efficient while 
like and, and maybe that somehow impacts the headcount at the company oh so so are, are you kind of asking the larger philosophical question of like like tractors versus plowing the fields the old-fashioned way i think and i think you have an easy answer for that um the, the reason i'm asking that is because i wanted to kind of talk about are we entering a new era where um there's going to be massive amounts of automation that come really fast and our society has a hard time grappling with it yeah i mean i don't i don't know the road ahead right i don't think anybody does at this point and i've i've seen and read a lot of things um from a lot of really you know people who are, are way smarter than me um writing about like the future of of ai and that kind of thing um I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, for me, I think the important part is that, you know, people have demonstrated uh, AI that can paint um, photo, paint pictures, and write poetry. But there's there's a certain level of creativity around problem solving mm. um, that I don't I don't see machines within our lifetime really being capable of, and. In that sense, I think there will always be sort of that that better class of problem that we'll always be reaching towards. Um, the other thing that I think is really important, and this is where I, I think there's there's a big opportunity for societal change in a positive way, is developing technologies that. To back up for a second, it's like why do people have a job, right? It's to you know put food on the table, pay a mortgage, right? I think technology is developing to a point where we can start to rethink some of those core assumptions where maybe people don't need to work anymore. Maybe if if things were a little bit more decentralized and, and people, you know, technology was leveraged in such a way that people could live a little bit more autonomously that, you know, maybe the, the sort of massive layoff and job shortfall problems that we're talking about um, – could actually be solved by the very technologies that are sort of starting to eliminate them. I guess the main question there is, is like, if we if we have the wealth available, like how is it distributed if there isn't like a proactive um, set of work or some some like kind of scorekeeping being done uh, on the part of the of the individual? Yeah, and and that's always been the problem because like every every foray into socialism throughout history has ultimately failed. And, and like that's exactly the reason. There's this kind of tragedy of the commons, right? You know, with with this notion of I, I'm not sure what's what I deserve. Like the the I, I, one of our friends, I remember Dan is Vlad actually pointed this out to me once. I, I said something like people don't deserve this or people deserve that, and he was like, "What does that word even really mean? Like what, what deserves? <laughs> yeah, what does anyone actually like deserve? Do you do you deserve?" Uh, you know, I'm drinking a coffee right now. I don't deserve the coffee, but I bought it. Well, okay. I, I guess, you, you know, you need a, a working definition to start with, right? So did Vlad have one? I, I, I don't think so. And I think that was, but that was the, the part that actually like just kind of made me start questioning what I was saying. Um, I think a lot of it, though, is sort of the transition in terms of, like, to get back to the problem-solving of it all. I think it just means changing what your work demographics are and how that leads to – it. you know, it can be related to a few different things, right? Like, for example, I'm supremely confident in uh, what the future holds for people who are in, like, my position or your position in the sense that – I'm oftentimes thrust into a position where there's a lot of things going on and I have to make lots of decisions about a very complicated ecosystem. And a lot of those things are political, emotional, creative, different kind of decision-making that I don't see AI replicating. So that's the first part to your, to your point. I think to, in terms of automation, you, it kind of gets into like the immigration argument a little bit. And if you look at sort of you know some of the original work uh, you know, going back to, to Adam Smith about immigration, right? It's like when when those jobs are no longer are taken by other people, you know, the wealth of nations uh, directly, like there should be better jobs that are available at that point. Yeah, I'm, I'm that a debate. strong proponent of that, that there's always a next level. Um, like we're, we're so, going to go to space. Like pe people are going to be on Mars. 
and there's going to be a space economy like it but it might not be for you know a hundred years right but theoretically on that point automation and nate i'd be curious to see what you think about this but automation shouldn't just because computers were invented doesn't mean that yes we got rid of some secretary jobs but some secretaries got management jobs and it all sort of changed you know it all sort of upgraded from there um Sorry, there was some sort of like police shooting like right next to me. That's why there's helicopters and stuff. So I, I just <laughs> never. I, I went on. It. I went on. Gotta, gotta uh, love LA. Yeah, well, my my office is on the uh, is like right near the the beach where the film market's going on, and there's a bunch of people working inside. So I stepped out, and then there was. I went on Twitter, and there's some sort of police shooting. So, of course, that's why, that's why there's helicopters. Um, but yeah, what do you think about that in terms of automation? What, what, like going to space? <laughs> no, no, in terms of the process of, well, I, I think, oh, like, jobs oh, won't be okay. completely canceled I mean, out because we should have, we should have jobs that, well, here, that are uh, AI proof. I don't think, like, I don't think that's, that's what I'm trying to argue. I think we can all agree that with any technological advancement, there is, you know, 100% of the time going to be more wealth created. And if there's more wealth created, then the loss of jobs makes up for that. Well, I mean, in, in the aggregate, sure, but it's like you have to you have to look at people's lives, and, and and it's like, I think the real question is, you know, how sort of resilient or adaptable people are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that that question can only be answered on an individual level. Gosh, I feel like that's such a cop out answer, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing the thing that I I worry about in the in the near term is. Pretty much transportation. There's gonna, there, I think there's at least 10 million truck drivers in the United States that yeah. will it's, most likely 4.1 4. actually, but yeah, not that many, but but still, <laughs> is a, a large like 4.1? It's a it's yeah. a it's a, a significant number of of people who are probably going to lose their jobs within the next 10 to 15 years. Um, every let's take into account like Uber itself is not really going to be profitable unless they can really either raise prices and people still use uber or make a significant amount of their fleet autonomous yeah well i i think um if there's any category of job to be happy for um i think it's truck drivers because they have had more of a heads up than anybody else is going to (laughs) get okay and i mean Truck driving is it's it's a it's a hard, dangerous job, and I I don't know. I mean, like I'm I'm sorry for the people who are losing their jobs, but I'm glad that you know they can put their energies toward better and less mundane problems. Yeah, I kind of I wonder. Like, there's a whole bunch of untapped wealth around. Just if we can increase the safety of of travel. Absolutely, no question. Oh, in so many ways. I mean, I'm getting. I want to get back to the truck thing in a second and, and automation, but I'm getting rid of my car in LA in two weeks, and I never. I've been here for seven years. I never thought I'd be able to get rid of a car, and <laughs> um, you know, it's the kind of thing where I don't know. I feel like if ninety percent of cars were automated, you'd have so fewer. You'd have almost no. You know, drunk driving accidents. Trips would be crime. Faster. Trips and, would be faster. Crime would be reduced significantly. And that whole intersection between the the five, the fifty five, and the four hundred five would be smooth as silk. <laughs> yeah, it's the uh, the ten and the four hundred five is just a nightmare. <laughs> but I don't go. It's weird. I don't go to certain parts of town on on certain days. Like I compartmentalize my week. So yeah. I don't waste that much time, but I am going to gain around six hours a week in uh, in more time. So I'm excited because uh, I won't be driving. Yeah, look at all the value that's just being created right there. Th- yeah. Think about and it's it's funny if you think about down to just the little mundane things of like if all cars went through a stoplight by accelerating in unison. Mm. How much more smoothly would traffic move? It's just those little things that you don't think about. And yeah, like. The- we might not not like need any stoplights at all. Cars, cars might move at an average of eighty miles an hour, and zip in and out of each other, and and have like a, as long as it's done safely, um, that could be possible. Because pe- pe- people just think, well, all right, my car is going to just drive me in the same way that I would drive the car. Well, that's not even the case. Right. It's going to drive in a completely different way. 
What a time to be alive. What are some of the things that you think won't have notice where people will just suddenly not have a job? Like what, um, what are some of those things that you think you said about truck drivers, at least they have five, 10 years of forethought or, or, or forewarning rather. What are some of the things that are just going to disappear overnight? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I think about like, um, like, you, you know, was it longshoremen or dock workers who were just eliminated within, gosh, I want to say like five years or so. It was five to ten years um, with the advent of shipping containers. Yeah, the, that's one thing that no one, people still don't really appreciate. Um, I know, I think, it's, it's the little things. Yeah, like Modern Marvels, uh, the shipping container, one of my favorite episodes of Modern Marvels. And, I, I haven't seen it, but I'm, I'm sort of familiar with the story. Yeah, it's almost as good as Modern Marvels cement. Um, <laughs> But the idea is just that when you create so much consistency around shipping and it's something that's done so frequently, um, it creates massive uh, like efficiencies. In like the, like the global economy. We basically glow the, owe the global economy to the Internet and shipping containers. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think blockchain, um, a lot of banks are starting to implement blockchain in, in like really, I don't know, ambiguous and, and somewhat superficial ways but i think that the the emergence of these kind of distributed banking institutions um could end up putting a lot of banks out of business a lot of the smaller retail banks I, and i will shed one tiny tiny little tear <laughs> well yeah, yeah. I, I think there's i think there's a place for small banks i think there's a, a place for for credit unions and stuff like that though but um yeah, my biggest gripe is just that they don't—they're not really a source of capital for small businesses like like ours anymore. Um, like, if you wanted to start, like even if let's say you know we start, we have technology companies, but let's say you wanted to start like a barber shop. Right. It used to be you go to your bank; they 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 probably know who you are because you've lived in the community, and that you probably have some kind of asset that they can they can collateralize and, and take. If right. You, and they'll give you a twenty thousand dollar loan. You know, enough right. to get the thing started. That, like, largely doesn't exist anymore because either it's too risky, there's regulations that make it too expensive, um, or it's just small potatoes for some giant retail bank where, like, it, the risk-to-reward ratio is, is just too high. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I actually – I do bank with a local bank, and I, I did ask them for a small loan over the summer just for a period of, like, I don't know, it was, like, going to be a few months or something. Um but yeah, it's it's like they they have their their standard approach, and even though I'd been banking with them for you know five years and had you know pretty decent balances, uh, they just wouldn't do it because um, they couldn't operate. I mean, they would have done it, but not at you know very favorable terms. And they have their s standard set of terms that they just would would not be able to operate outside of in any way. And there was like nobody I could talk to, to to change that. And it's like, okay, well, why are you even here? Yeah, it's they, they they pay a lot of lip service to being invested in the community, but they they literally do not invest in the community. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's like there's been some disruption in the banking service, but it seems like very much like contained to a portion that does not affect as many people as it should. You know, like for all of the peer-to-peer -peer lending and all of those things. I mean, ultimately, it's so crazy that so many people have tons of student loan debt, but people aren't buying houses for that reason, right? And, and all the traditional ways that you can get uh, you can get loans and you can borrow money for certain things have pretty much stayed the same. Um, whereas it seems like, you know, this is kind of a crazy idea, but it's almost like, would you lend towards like someone like us if they were like 20 and, and I would lend towards that person and I would say well this person is going I believe in this person as a as a person so I'm going to lend towards them uh this sounds like a bad episode of Black Mirror where you get your hand cut off if you don't pay or something but like <laughs> well, that's you know, like basically you, what crowdfunding is, is supposed to be well, no, I know, I know what it's supposed to be. I'm just saying that I, I just wonder, like, in terms of, like, massive radical differences in how people borrow money and, and, and do that kind of thing, I wonder if there's still, like, some step to be taken. Oh, absolutely. I, th I think the biggest problem for any of this is that um, financial services are just so highly regulated. Yeah, I mean, there's I, – I keep trying to find this video, but it was a guy testifying 
to uh, some special committee in Congress, and he was head of a, a fairly large bank, and he was just explaining how Dodd-Frank had in installed some regulations that he, he was just like, I can't make small business loans anymore, um, even if I wanted to. <laughs> And I, I like, and I always use that in conversation. I'm, I'm trying to find this video, um, but, but it's he's just like, yeah, like I, we, we can't do this anymore. And he's like, I'm not alone. Um, and it, I, th I think what happens is like, it's that, it, it's, it's the fact that people like us can't get these kind of small business loans that maybe you could in the '60s and '70s, um, coupled with the fact that if you're a large corporation, you can borrow at almost like zero interest. Yeah. And, a lot of what's driving the stock market, like people talk about, the, oh, there's a recovery. But there isn't really a recovery. The thing that's driving the stock market up is just that these big companies can just borrow corporate debt um, for, for almost nothing and then buy back their stock to boost the price. Huh. That's fascinating. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. And, like, please, if, if anyone's listening to this, they don't believe me, please check that out. I'll, I'll post some links in the, uh, in the description. Because I'd heard a few things about stock buybacks, but I didn't know that was the the what was enabling it. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that going on, and what uh, that means is if if you're, you know, <laughs> if you want to start a barber shop and then, and then a giant supercuts comes into your uh, your neighborhood, it might not just be because there's some big corporation that you know is evil or something like that, or maybe they are evil, but the re the reason <laughs> it, it they're able to do evil that corp. It, is may it, be, it may it be may evil be evil corp, corp. Yeah. Oh, but they're geez. able they're able to take advantage of financial instruments that the the little guy can't and i, yeah. and I think that's actually wrong the game is rigged game i would is... love to yeah i would love to bring on somebody who who disagrees with you uh or, or is able to well, formulate a uh counter is... i just don't know enough about it to be honest to be able to have that kind of conversation i mean i well, know no, basic, he's, basic he's principles right. He's right. Take it from me. Um, so, so. <laughs> but I mean, I think we're like conservative people. But I think that that if is there's a liberal argument too. That's almost the same thing. But they see it as more of there's the little guy versus the big guy, and the big guy's always bad. Yeah, and that's just a I, I don't know. I, I'm so so we're we're publishing this after the election. I'm I'm probably going to regret saying this, but like, I almost want Trump to win because. I hate liberal smugness more than <laughs> I fear the coming apocalypse. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I probably will regret that too. <laughs> yeah, I'm not there with you. I mean, the, the thing is, like, for me, it's really tough because I was joking with a few people who were like, well, you know, like, if you look at Trump's tax plan, like, it's not, it's, like, it's not perfect, but it's a lot better than what anyone else has been talking about for the past, like, 10 years. Like, it's, it's like, ironically, his tax plan is, like, one of the most balanced uh, and, like, sort of rational things that he's I ever said. I don't even know what it is. Do you know that? I, I haven't points? seen. I didn't even it, know that there were these candidates have plans for anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, no, they do. But, like, here's the thing, right? So if, if um, compared to, to Clinton's plan, um, combined with, like, the fact that you would pay at the top tier you know eight or nine i think it's more than 10 percent in fucking california oh oh didn't you know dan it's not wrong to have an offshore tax haven it's just wrong to be caught with one. <laughs> oh, i no, i i understand but the, the I first guess. thing i thought when the panama papers came out was was just like why don't we have an on offshore tax haven <laughs> i should have well, been doing I, this years ago yeah, that, and, and that's actually I was like, hey, we could we could do a startup off this just offshore tax havens for everyone for the little guy dot, dot com. It's like, you they know, we exist, should actually. I mean, uh, there's an uh, obviously it's a liberal uh, BS, as you would say, podcast on NPR. But um, there's a podcast called uh, called Planet Money that goes into a lot of the ways that you can do stuff in like the British Virgin Islands. Because after Panama and after and Swiss banks are actually like although they're they're the classic they're place, yeah they're on their way out because they're just caught up in lots of, of sort of EU red tape and a lot of regulation that's affected other stuff here. So yeah. it's you know you got to go to like Nicaragua or like go to uh, you, know, you got to go to different places to do it. Yeah, and then the U.S. passed something a few years back called the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act that. Yeah basically you get hit with um, really heavy penalties for, for transferring money through any U.S. bank if, you're, if you don't 
follow certain auditing procedures. So yeah, the secrecy of, of Swiss bank accounts is basically <laughs> the past. Yeah. So yeah, I, a lot of banks they don't even touch it because it's almost like I think if one person is in, then suddenly they have to open up to like revealing a lot of stuff. Now, yeah. I, actually, I looked into all this given the fact that I you know I work remote. I don't have any set office. And I was asking a couple accountants, I'm like, what, give me the best place in the world to set up the business. And they just started laughing, like, hysterically at me. I'm like, I could live anywhere in the entire world. Do you know where is the best place in the entire world? And, like, the few that I spoke to, like, they're not even prepared or even thinking about a, a worker that has my situation. Really? And you, this was in New York? Um, this was somebody who was remote. I think they I think they might have even been in Canada. That's hilarious. Yeah, so I was laughing. I mean, we, we got a good laugh out of it, but I, I got exactly zero uh, good advice. Um, but there's all these people, like um, Estonia is trying to get people. That was the one that I was just going to recommend. Yeah. Have, you, have you checked out their e-residency program? Yeah, but <laughs> I, I can't. Uh, it doesn't, I'm not exactly sure what the real benefit to me is. Um because if, you, if you're an American, it doesn't matter where you set anything up. If you're, unless you renounce your citizenship and become a citizen somewhere else, you still are on the hook to pay American taxes. You, um, you are, but um, if, you're, if you're a resident of Estonia, then you can open up a bank account and, and form a corporation I with think, your Estonian residency. And I, and I think what you could do there, the one thing, is if I, if I never pay myself personally, if everything I do is a... Um, a business charge or like if you know, never repatriate your income yes, like that's, uh, that's like apple true. yes <laughs> um yeah if i did that in estonia i would be able to keep all of it in a bank in estonia Probably. well good thing so, you're not recording any evidence of your plan for this good thing that's not going well, good anywhere. thing it's all legal oh, good thing yeah <laughs> it's, everything it's, i'm saying it's is, not a crime it's 100 yeah. legal yeah yet <laughs> yeah, yeah like, as, as, as edward snowden would say yeah i mean look it's not about what's happening now it's what's happening down yeah. the road that you could worry about <laughs> i actually like i don't i don't tweet as much or post to facebook as much for that reason for because uh, i'm afraid that something i say today might be politically incorrect tomorrow and then if you ever want to run for president you're screwed <laughs> well not really i mean if you look at what happens in here like the you know the rules have changed you know like there's really it's, it's almost like the you know it Honestly, it's freed up a lot of stuff to happen down the road in I, any in I any read, arena. I read something uh, years ago, and this is just about different like sex scandals that um, different politicians have gone under. And the thing that it pointed out was that the people who were hypocrites about it were the people that went down. And for the people that were just like, I you know, I, I did this. Maybe it was a crime. Maybe it wasn't a crime. They those are the people that got reelected. So it's it's kind of funny. Like people are willing to forgive people who are are like either unapologetic or at least not hypocritical about their actions. Yeah, I was gonna say if this election cycle is anything to go by, the trick seems to be never apologize. <laughs> Pretty much. It's never apologize and just move on. Just move on. <laughs> or just have so many scandals that like you just can't dwell on one. <laughs> so but by the time by the time one's starting to mature and it can actually hurt you just get a fresh one out just overwhelm people with so many scandals they don't even know what to pay attention to did you guys ever see that movie with dustin hoffman wag the dog yeah he's uh his character is based uh -huh. on the producer robert evans uh because they hire really? yeah he, he yeah i think they shot at his house i forget but the whole the whole idea is that they it what's so funny about that movie is that essentially it's a false flag operation and they, the whole idea is to is to have a false flag where no one gets hurt to invade a foreign country to like Al um, Albania or something like that. Yeah, it's some. Yeah, I think it is Albania. And they say, hey, we invade this country. Like the president's approval ratings, like it's really hard to not reelect a wartime president. So I think the whole conspiracy is, let's have uh, this like okay. fake fake false flag and this this L.A. this Robert Evans like producer character will will put it on. And and they get uh, like Willie Nelson writes this patriotic song, <laughs> and uh, and then they about about this soldier who was kidnapped in Albania, and then it turns out to be like Woody Harrelson who's like crazy, and they can't use him as this like puppet, 
I, me knowing the entire plot of this movie, I know it's impressing the hell out of you guys right now. <laughs> but uh, but it's a very good, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a funny movie just about. But it, <laughs> unfortunately, I mean, look, things have always been crazy, right? But um, it, yeah, that movie's very in terms of like how people will go. People people don't want to know the truth. People just want to you know watch football and and not care about stuff. So like you know, you just got to give them a good message and a good thing to to kind of just go home about you know yeah it's a problem (laughs) (laughs) yeah the thing is when i talk to people who who spend either most of their time getting their information from television or just maybe they stick to like a couple a few memes on facebook um i feel like oftentimes i feel like there's a there's their position and then there's a position that they think i have and I and like most of my time is just trying to explain that their opposition position is not the one that I have. And I usually right. end up start talking about monetary policy and interest rates. And that like And then you just, just completely lose them. Yeah, people yeah, are like, that, Why that are you put people to sleep so easily. <laughs> and that's what's but like <laughs> if that's if that's how people are being controlled, then it's like the best strategy ever. It's highly effective. It's highly controlling the money supply is like the easiest way to control people. And it's like, and it bores well, people so much. Well, I think that um, I mean, it's just not—it's not just the money supply, right? It's—it's it's really the education system where people aren't people aren't taught to um, reason from first principles. Yes. Which is, gosh, just the the epicenter of so many issues. Yeah, and that was—that's something that I didn't even—that never occurred to me until. Uh, I worked with uh, the guys at, at Jarvis, the company I started out of college, where really? they they consistently reasoned from first principles, and it was really difficult to argue with them because they they were with they always had like a really great reason for having like a rock solid underpinning of, of of their belief. It wasn't like you were ever arguing with just the argument itself. It was it was like their entire philosophy. So what's a good example of that? Walk walk through one of the, I mean, uh, obviously what you can say, but walk through like an example of that. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot. I I can take that one if you want, Matt. Yeah, go ahead. So, so I, I get into it with people about, you know, government and government policy and stuff like that. And, and, you know, I, I ask, well, okay, so, and particularly like the role of government, what government should, should or should not do. So, you know, I, I start by asking people, um, you know, what, what is your definition of government? What is, what is your, how would you characterize it in a way that satisfies every form of government that currently exists or has ever existed? So, so Dan, think about it for a second and tell me what, what you would give. In terms of what I think the role of government should be? Just, just what, what is your one all in, all-encompassing definition of what government in the abstract is? I would say an executive body that is elected uh, in a sort of in a Republican Republic fashion that is creating laws that people that are enacted that protect certain rights of the people and they are managing some foreign and domestic day to day services that are for the betterment and continuation of that government and sort of country, uh, as it were. So that, that's obviously very vague. But yeah, all right. Well, that, that's a that's reasonable definition for modern Western governments. But, sure. I mean, government in, in the main has to cover that. It has to cover Russia, China, you know, despots in Africa. So those are all, those are all forms of government. They may not all be, you know, quote-unquote legitimate, so to speak, but... Um, here's my definition. My definition is a a government is an institution that exists within a society that has been given a monopoly on the use of violence. Yep. (laughs) That's the most libertarian way to go. Well, it's, it's the only definition that I'm aware of that that satisfies. It's, and, and this isn't like, it, it sounds very controversial to say that, but really it's just sociology one-on-one, right? It, it's like the, the sort of base level definition once you strip away all of the labels. And so you can derive a lot of interesting ideas from that. Like one of them is that 
well, politics really, when you think about, is just taking taking that violence that that you know government has a monopoly on, and sort of making it palatable to people who would otherwise be uncomfortable with that idea. Yeah, and when you say violence, I I think it, I think that's it's controversial just because of the word violence. But when you think of about course. it, it's like if you don't pay your taxes, someone, a police officer with a gun, eventually will come to your house and tell you you have to get in the car. Well, exactly. I mean, it's even it's even more mundane than that, right? Like, take take a parking ticket. Like, if if there were no consequences to not paying a parking ticket, who would do it? Right. Right. But eventually, you know that you're going to get a letter in the mail, and then another letter in the mail, and then a, a, a summons to court, and then you know if you still don't show up, a, a judge is going to write a bench warrant for your arrest, and somebody's somebody with a gun is going to show up and put you in a cage. If you resist, then you die. So, I mean, that, that's like you can dress it up in all of these, you know, procedural ways. But at the end of the day, it's still you're doing violence against people. So when it comes to the question of, like, what government should do, what government shouldn't do, it's like, okay, so if, you know, for any given policy, you can say, well, should, should government be willing to kill someone over this? And if government, as in, in our, as our definition of government goes, it's, you know, um, I'm trying to remember the, the exact wording. If government derives its just power from the consent of the governed, um, would I, as, as one of those individuals who's, you know, consenting to be governed, am I willing to do this killing myself? That went pretty deep, pretty fast. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> no, I. So, so how would that, in terms of like a Jarvis situation or any kind of situation, you're saying that? Well, if yeah. So back to first principles. Um, you, you're saying like so. The example of that is like that's if, if that's the thing that you believe the purpose of government is, or that's the definition, then anything you reason has to maintain that opinion or like that statement. Um, so if you were to say um, the purpose of government, you know, aside from having a monopoly on violence, is to protect individual liberty, meaning you can do whatever you want as long as there isn't a law that prevents these things. But most, for the most part, you're allowed to do whatever you want in this country as long as you don't harm other people. And that could mean physical harm at the, at the very least. And then, you know, it, 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 for, it could include any law where you're, there's a perception of harm. Um, or you yeah, know, or, or, dis- or discrimination, or, or or something else. Yeah. So like when we say life, liberty, in the pursuit of happiness, or like life, liberty, property, in the pursuit of happiness, you, the government's role is to actually like protect those three or four things. Um, so I mean, I'm trying. I'm still trying to think of like something something that's like a first principle for like a business. Um, like th- there was one there was one thing that I, I with Jarvis that was really really. Um, pervasive and, and and really inspired me was was just that there are technological advances or like there are are things about culture that not only can change but it's inevitable that they will um so every decision that we make should just be based upon the assumption that the, you know technology internet connectivity will be ubiquitous or it'll, it'll be very cheap um and you can base your business off of that kind of assumption and that's just a principle that it's like an axiom. It's something that doesn't even need to be really be proven. And and I think all businesses should should have this. Um, you should have some kind of principle that you're working on. Um, and I, I think that what we were talking about earlier around automation and technological advancement having a net benefit to society versus a you know a net negative, uh, a net detriment to society is is something that you we reason about it, but for the business like you shouldn't have to be reasoning about that on on a daily basis it should just be an assumption that everyone operates on what about the kind of thing where you're it's almost like the first principle would be like we're not touching any kind of idea unless we think it's a billion dollar idea like we're not touching any kind of we're not pursuing we're not investing any time into something unless we think it has that could be a like a, a principle that you're based off it's just like like a hedge fund or you know some, something where we own, we're like a high risk, high reward organization. Like you could say that. Uh, yeah, could, I mean that that kind of thing is great for great as a filter, like uh, to keep you focused. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, because so as a product manager at a startup, the hardest thing is that you've got people coming at you from all directions with 
good and even great ideas, and you need some kind of framework to shoot 99% of them down. Because you can't do them all, which means if you try to, you'll do all of them poorly. So you have to have something that cannot be reasoned with, something that is 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 like unshakable, um, as a framework, as a as a kind of like defensive shield to, uh, to 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 defend you not from bad ideas, but actually from good ideas. Which which actually to bring it around to the background at the beginning of the conversation, talking about expertise. Usually, when you set out to build a product, it's because you have some kind of an expertise and a strong opinion about how people are going to use the product and why. Yes. And that core belief is what guides all of your product design decisions. Right. I think there, there's a lot of people um, that that think that they, they want to validate. And I think it is possible to try to validate things too early. And, and there's a whole you know group of people that probably would disagree, disagree with that, where they're actually just jettisoning, jettisoning their, their expertise and like the, their opinion. And are leaving and are putting something in front of people and leaving it up to the masses, who maybe don't have the insight, or the expertise, or just don't care enough to think like, oh, that's a different way of doing things, and this is going to be really great in the future. Yeah, that's why I always kind of push back against that, like, sort of test early, test often in in the customer sense of yeah. the whole like, you know, the whole lean startup thing. Like, I, I get it, but at the same time, I mean, that's good for an idea that you're not really passionate about. If it's an idea that you're really passionate about and you have very, very strong opinions, um, I think, like Apple, for example, Apple never did, has never done focus groups in, yep. in the history of the company. And, but they have a very strong design aesthetic. They have a very strong sense of themselves and, you know, how a product should work. You know, maybe not now as much as, like, a few years ago, <laughs> But it exists. It has existed in some form. Um, where I think that sort of market validation can be useful is if you have an idea of that's it. You have an idea for a product based around very strong opinions that you're not necessarily able to articulate super well right now. Sure. If you go through a couple of iterations, that can help you act, actually understand your own thinking better and refine your own thinking better. Um, so that you're able to articulate it not only in you know verbally or on paper, but actually in terms of how your product works. Mm -hmm. Dan, does that answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> great. That's great. <laughs> I want to get back on topic a little bit in terms of just like your work, because we always uh, I'd like to kind of just talk for like 15 more minutes specifically about your work and what you do. Yeah, and sort like, of how that ties into some of this stuff. Like, sure. I think I'd asked you a while ago, like, what's your day-to-day -day like? Um, Gosh, my day-to-day. -day. I, I don't know if I have a day-to-day. -day. Um, try, I'm trying to sum it up briefly. You know, I it's really all over the map. And I used to feel like if, if I hadn't written any code in a given day, then that was an unproductive day. But as as like a manager of a business, I've realized that that's definitely not true. So um, some days it's a lot of email and Slack. Some days it's code. Some days it's research. Some days it's more code. Um, it's it's all over the map. That's good though. I find that you know so many years have gone by where when I was first developing stuff and I was first like producing several films and I was getting things off the ground. And now I look back and I'm like, Oh, I was just emailing every day. And, I, and like every day felt like you were just had a pile of to do list that you were just getting through. And you look back three months goes by, six months goes by and you're like, what the hell did I do? You mm. know what I mean? Yeah. I would get self-conscious about that if I wasn't producing like a deliverable. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, you know, it's not just enough. And I'm, it's very fulfilling for me to work on, you know, movies where you're, you know, you're relatively, you know, I'm not always totally in, in charge, but I'm usually, I'm, I'm the executive or, or the management team in charge of a lot of stuff. And, you know, you have several hundred people that you're working with and you're are under your sort of direction or uh, as part of the core team. And, um, you know, but if you're not doing something or creating something, that's sort of unique on a day-to-day -day basis. A lot of times it can just look like 
you're like, oh, wow, I just got through emails and I survived the week, but what did I actually create? Yeah, and, you know, it doesn't always have to be something that you create, but, you know, going back to kind of the idea of, of first principles, you have to know where you're going, and, and that has to come from, you know, this whatever philosophy you design your company or your product around. Like, okay, where are you going, and how can you take measurable steps to get there? And, you, you know, it really helps to just write that stuff down and actually record your wins in some capacity. I mean, like, yeah. I'm nowhere near disciplined enough for, like, journaling or anything like that. But, yeah, just keeping track of, like, okay, what did I do the last three months? Like, what did I set out to accomplish? And, you know, by the end of the three months, how did I do on that? Um, the other thing I found really uh, valuable is um, this app called um, Timing. Um, it's a it's an app for OS X. It sits in your little menu bar thing and just keeps track of, of like documents you have open, websites you visit, and allows you to sort of tag and categorize how you spend your time. Um, oh wow! So you can actually get a retrospective on a you know daily, weekly, monthly basis of like, okay, what the hell did I actually just do? Um, you're like you were on you were on Slack for two hours and you're on google sheets for all this time That's but you're on twitter do. for four hours what are you doing <laughs> i mean have you ever been in the situation where you you're on facebook you close the tab and instinctively hit new tab and type in facebook it's there there have been uh, i'm i'm ashamed to admit there are days when it gets that bad not not very often mm. but um Usually, usually if I'm super like sleep deprived or just totally burnt out or both. Yeah, I've actually. Yeah. Um, it, it used to it used to get to the point where, um, well, I was more proactive about it then. But it used to get to the point where I would um, actually just block. You, you know, um, well, Matt, you probably know this in your Etsy hosts file. You can actually just like blacklist certain websites. Yeah. So I would just like blacklist, uh, you know, the my top three, whatever it was back then. Um, and then that, you end up coming up with like some kind of keyboard shortcut for bringing up your Etsy host file. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's just enough of a barrier for me to be like, because you know, it's it's a protected file, so to edit it, you have to type in your password and stuff like that. It's it's just enough to get off of that track to to like forego that impulse. Mm. Um, that like you, you, you can sort of, you know, be reflective and examine. Okay, what am I doing right now? Um, do I need to just like get up and, and walk away and take five, or do I need to just like barrel through and focus on what I'm doing? There's an interesting way of doing stuff for me where um, there's a podcast about screenwriting that I listen to called Script Notes, which is kind of funny, and uh, two screenwriters, and they. I forget exactly what it is. I'm paraphrasing, but at some point they said, you know, if you want to write more, if you want to create more, stop writing in other places. Like for example, if you send a hundred emails a day or a thousand emails a day, you're, you're tired. You're just tired of writing and you get sloppier. Like you're not as sharp because you've used that muscle in the wrong place. Yeah, people call that kind of like and, ego depletion that you have mm-hmm. this, this finite source of, um, what is it? Just, um, uh... Well, it's, it's like willpower. Willpower, yeah, that's the word. It's, like, it's you, tough. You can try. Um, no, basically basically the app, um, it makes you write stuff. It makes you write everything in five minutes, and it makes you just keep writing. And if you stop writing, then it deletes what you've written. And yep, you can okay, say for five that. minutes, ten minutes. Um, it also, it, the way the, the UI is, is, is designed, it, it's very hard to bring up other tabs while you have flow state open. Mm. Um, it will make you like it the way you can't hide it, but then hide others. Like the way it works in Mac is very restricting, which is frustrating, but it's actually good because it, it prevents you from bringing up other tabs while you're writing or while you're putting stuff together. Um, whereas in Google, in like Google word or, or like uh, sorry, like Google sheets, but whatever Google doc or whatever, like, you have that open, but you have like, you know, Gmail open next to it and you get distracted by something. So Boy, in flow state, it's like, you could, right just, there. you could just hire somebody to hold a gun to your head. 
Yeah, you, yeah, you could. I guess you could do that. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing is that I would try that out, be like, "Ooh, this is interesting," and the second it makes me angry, I, I just get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, I write most of what I, if I'm writing anything, I, I write it in Evernote, um, and I don't even think Evernote is the greatest app, and they've kind of had this like fall from grace um, in the venture capital community um, because they can't get people to pay for it, but. It's just, it's pretty easy just to kind of like write a note that it, you can do it offline and then it syncs with like your phone and, and, uh, and then I'll, I'll usually copy and paste all of that into like a Google doc. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't do a lot of writing. Um, so I can't, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I would love to develop that discipline, but I mean, a lot I'm of more of like, of like giving talks. Yeah. I mean, well, the, the stuff that like the writing that I do is is like these kind of grunt notes you know that's not there's not really like an overarching narrative or like if anyone else were to read it it might not even make sense it's kind of like a lot of shorthand yeah yeah that's my process too it's like it's like puking out shorthand notes or puking out yep. just onto a dock and then it's so it's <laughs> so much of like my, like my entire life at this point like my just my uh, my work life really is is just checking in with people, making sure that everyone's on the same page. You know, like making sure everyone knows when they're supposed to the expectation of them, when they're supposed to deliver something, when they're supposed to talk to somebody else. Um, and I think that's the part that that really is like ego depleting. It depletes your willpower. And then when you want to, it's it's kind of like this this make versus manage cycle where like. If you're managing, you're really just doing all of that. But when you're making, you're usually spending like a three to six hour period of your time. Um, and it sounds like from what Nate you were saying, like that's probably where you have get the most satisfaction is when you're spending that much time on one singular thing with no interruption. Yeah. Oh, for sure. All right. Thanks, Nate. Um, we're gonna we're gonna call it. But thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, I think a lot of people will be really interested in all the stuff that we talked about. Um, again, Nate is CTO of ratify.io. That's R-A-D-I-F-Y.io. Um, thanks. Great. Thank you, guys. Talk to you later.